Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers, or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks to two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. And welcome to another My Angular Story. This week, we're talking to Georgi Parlakov. Georgi, you want to say hi? Hey, everyone. Excited uh, to be here. Uh, now, do you want to introduce yourself really quickly? All right. So uh, my name is Georgi Parlukov. I'm from Bulgaria. I've been an Angular 2 developer since uh, Angular 2, oh, like two and a half years ago. And I'm... I'm loving it every step of the way. Awesome. Now, it's it's interesting. We've had a number of people on the show. And I started out doing the show talking to past guests of Adventures in Angular. And lately, I've been interviewing people who listen to the show. And I find that about half the people that I'm talking to that listen to the show are in the US, and the other half are not. And people's backgrounds, in some ways, are very similar no matter where they come from, and in other ways, are very different. And so I'm, I'm a little curious as we get into this, yeah, to just kind of capture your experience getting into Angular, but also what it's like being a developer in your part of the world, some of the things that maybe folks here in the United States don't encounter or aren't aware of. So yeah, if you can just kind of call those out as we talk, that would be great. All right. First of all, I, I just want to dive in. How did you get into programming? Uh, yeah, so... I had a couple of classes in high school and then maybe first year in university and I I found it really interesting. But then I decided that I don't want to be sitting all day beside a desk and I started pursuing a different kind of career, which basically ended up doing just the same. I was sitting all day, but in a car. <laughs> so yeah, uh, and also I had uh, had a couple of friends that uh, that were in the software industry, still are, and I was kind of jealous uh, for their you know higher standard. And uh, it, I I'd like to say that in this part of the world, in Bulgaria specifically, uh, the the people in the software industry they have kind of a double or triple even uh, higher standard than the the rest of the general population. When you say so, standard, you're talking about uh, standard of living. They get paid more. They live in nicer houses, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's what I mean, exactly. So, yeah, I was kind of jealous of that. And I really uh, started to begin to try to get into software engineering. And I decided that having little to no technical expertise, I want to start with QAing. Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, I, I, I went to a couple of interviews and I saw that really technically uh, I'm, I'm missing a lot of, uh, I need a lot of knowledge uh, to gain. Right. And at that point, uh, well, I, I learned about something that the Telerik company is doing, mm-hmm. the Telerik Academy. And uh, oh, it was... I didn't hear about that. Yeah, that, that's kind of a big deal. Uh, down here, you know, Telerik is. Uh, I think you've heard of it. Can do UI guys. Yeah, they. Uh, so Telerik was acquired by a company called Progress, and yeah, exactly. both when uh, 
it was Telerik and when it was Progress, they have sponsored the podcasts. Yeah, so you know them. And uh, yeah, they are... I've talked to people in Bulgaria and in the US that work for them, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're kind of a big deal here and uh, they had this, maybe the first of, of this kind, kind of a large academy. We started around 1,300 students that year. And uh, yeah, so I learned about that and it was free and I jumped... <laughs> to the to this occasion and uh, to this uh, opportunity because it, it seemed like something magic. Someone is going to teach me how to be a developer and they will not charge me for that. I couldn't believe it. So yeah, down the line, uh, I I really got interested. Uh, it was very um, uh, it, it was fun for me. It was challenging. It was uh, rewarding. It was all those things, so I I dropped the QA gig and decided to go all the way uh, with with being developer and have not uh, looked back ever since. I'm enjoying I'm enjoying every minute of it. Awesome. So, how long is the program at Telerik Academy? Well, that's uh, about a year, and the last uh, the last third it's full time. The rest of it, the well, the first um, maybe six months you can do it evenings. And then you need to go full time, and uh, and that's when I quit my previous job. And uh, yeah, that was a rough time for me, but it was very, very, uh, very much worth it. Nice. And uh, what what do they teach you there? Is it JavaScript or is it something else? Yeah, including JavaScript, uh, they were maybe putting more of a well, they were teaching more of a .NET. ESP.NET okay. with web forms and MVC and all that stuff. And JavaScript was, uh, you know, kind of mentioned. That's, I'm talking about 2011 and uh -huh. JavaScript was still, you know, kind of picking up uh, right. back then. Yeah. Well, that makes sense because uh, Kendo UI is a toolkit that I'm familiar with with JavaScript, but they also have widgets for .NET. Yeah. yeah. They also have for the... Um, Desktop and for the web and Reps, yep. yeah. and mobile. Yeah, that too. So you get in, you're learning how to program at uh, Telerik Academy. What got you into JavaScript? Did you Well, yeah, that that's uh the previous uh the previous job that I took. Uh one of the reasons that I liked it was because of Angular, and uh, that's maybe uh -huh. two and a half years ago. At that time, I was doing uh, mainly MVC, the ASP.NET MVC, which is a uh, server-side rendered, um, you know, HTML, mm -hmm. and we were using some Java, uh, some jQuery, some um, Knockout, and I was learning about Angular and I was interested about that. And you know, the the job having been Angular job and also uh, it was uh, kind of technically interesting. They were talking about uh, 3D rendering in the browser. Well, I, that's why uh, that's what I got from the conversation. But it was uh, kind of a different, you know, the rendering was done server side and then just visualized doing uh, on the browser doing Angular. But yeah, yeah, interesting. So yeah, basically that's uh, uh, doing the job. We uh, we were a couple of new hires that uh, started this uh, project in Angular, and we were learning from each other and from uh, you know I was really inspired by people like you and uh, uh, 
uh, like uh, from the from the Angular team that were doing talks, presentations on different um, like NG conferences. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, I was I, I got a lot of those um, a lot of knowledge out of those talks, and I was uh, really inspired. Nice. So you you get into JavaScript, you you get into Angular. Were you still doing some ASP.NET? Yeah, we were. No, we were using basically web. API for the backend. Okay. Uh, that's that's the RESTful um, mm-hmm. framework for the ASP.NET stuff. Yeah. I love how Microsoft names stuff. <laughs> it's like, here's what it does. We're going to name it that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, I'm listening to uh, .NET Rocks and they uh-huh. keep repeating that if you, uh, if you have a cool project um, alias, then the project name after that uh, becomes like really WCF or WPF or something long and tedious. Yep. Yeah, I love those guys. I, I spent a couple of days with Richard Campbell from .NET Rocks a few weeks ago. So, Yeah, now I'm envious. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm listening to them. Basically, someone recommended them and they were kind of one of the first podcasts that I started listening to and they put the, the bar really high. With uh, with their quality and with their uh, they're having fun and they're teaching stuff and it's 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 really yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Well, Richard owns uh or not Richard Carl owns a production company, so mm. <laughs> they yeah. kind of get what they want from that. But yeah, they they do a terrific job and and they're terrific people. I I just I love going and hanging out with them. So yeah, um, very cool. So you, so what was it about Angular that that got you excited? Was it just some of the things you were doing at work or was, were there particular aspects of it that you were like, uh, really nice to use? Yeah, you know, it's kind of similar to the backend stuff. And uh, I think a lot of people getting into Angular, especially Angular 2, uh, find that it's kind of similar to, well, for me, kind of similar to MVC, the, mm-hmm. the .NET MVC. Uh, I got a lot of the documentation. Uh, it's um, I think it's really good written documentation. Uh, it's uh, at that at that time my daughter was six months old and I was reading to her instead of bedtime stories the Angular documentation. <laughs> uh, yeah, I really really enjoyed that and uh, I really enjoyed um, learning this learning experience because uh, basically I, I didn't have kind of a mentor or someone that was doing stuff with Angular already. Right. And also Angular was brand new at that point. I think mm-hmm. the day that Angular turned 2.0 final is the day that we started or it was you know really close. Oh, right. So, yeah, the whole learning experience and the whole, uh, you know, uh, this is the, the problem, this is the issue, go find a solution. We, we want to use Angular. And uh, the the freedom, especially uh, looking at that in retrospective, mm-hmm. the freedom that I got was really really um, fun for me, really challenging, and also, um, yeah, it was it was very good. Awesome, and I know that the Angular team likes hearing yeah that the experience is good and that it's solving problems. So yeah, I want to back up just for a minute. Um, I like to ask this: How did you get your first programming job? Uh, well, it was uh, basically out of the academy, maybe less than two months after that. Well, I think the the most normal way that you do, just, you know, interviews, CVs, that kind of stuff. Yep. And uh, yeah, I guess the people 
kind of believed in me and I'm grateful for that because you know at that point I've I must have been like 28 or something uh-huh. and it's, it's not like uh, you know the normal student type person to start a junior position somewhere so right well I got my first full-time programming job at 27 26. there you go but I had a computer engineering degree so it did make it a little bit easier yeah 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 but yeah, you know, a lot of people are transitioning. I did an interview on my JavaScript story with, I, I'm trying to remember her name, Tina. Um, you can go look it up. I'll put a link in the show notes. But anyway, um, she's from South Africa and she had moved from South Africa to England uh, as part of immigrating to the United States because her husband got a job here. She has a PhD in physics and uh, she's what, in her early 50s maybe? All right. Transition right into programming and was working full time as a programmer. And so I I think a lot of people think, oh, I missed the boat because I didn't get a computer science degree or I missed the boat because, you know, I'm I'm old. Right. I'm 35. Oh, dear. Right. And it turns out it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's also I mean, you know, thanks for saying that. I I really appreciate that. Uh, People. A lot of people, they are complaining. They want to change stuff, but they don't want to change stuff. You know, they want to sit on there uh, and they want to sit where they are and don't, <laughs> don't do anything, but they still complain. And I want to say to everyone listening, you, you can do it. It's, uh, it's, not, uh, it's not impossible. It's far from it. A lot of people do it. And uh, as you say, 50 years old, I think there was at least one other student in, in our uh, class that was, you know, a senior, maybe more than 50 years mm-hmm. old. And uh, it's it's doable. And also something else, I heard online someone, I can't really recall who, the, the, the coding knowledge will give you a lot of freedom in the coming years and, and, century, and um, uh, years to come because that's going to be kind of doing magic. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the stuff that we get now, a lot of the technologies, they are uh, they they can be coded they can be you know changed via, via coding so mm-hmm. anyone should learn to code even as a you know as a hobby as a something side aside from the main uh, from their main job yeah absolutely it I, I think it's going to become more and more of a life skill where the world we interact with is partially physical and partially programmable I guess is the best way to say it. You know, and that that might be things like IoT, it might be things like AI, and it might be things that are just, you know, how we interact on our devices. But yeah, yeah. I completely agree. I think it's going to be a life skill that more and more people are going to need in order to do what we kind of consider to be mundane jobs at this point. Yeah, I think I get asked by some people, well, you know, if AI comes and with the advent of AI, my job is... Um, under well ai could take my job basically and i say yeah that that's that's true but ai will also need jobs AI mm-hmm. will also create a lot of jobs so yeah, yeah. I, I hear some people theorizing that eventually yeah ai will put enough people out of work to where we're going to be talking about how to feed them and clothe them without them having to you know being able to work in any meaningful capacity and Every time that society advances in technology, it creates new jobs as yeah, it yeah. you know eliminates jobs. 
Now, is it possible that they're correct and that it'll eliminate more jobs than it creates? Yeah, that's possible. But it'll be interesting to see exactly where we wind up with this stuff. Yeah, definitely. And a lot of people derive a lot of value from what they do. And so I worry a little bit about the psychology of telling people, um, essentially, you're useless, here's money, right? Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think a lot of us, maybe all of us, derive value from what we do. Right. We are basically, uh, we are getting all our, uh, how can I say, well, our self-respect and, uh, and what we think of ourselves because of what we actually accomplish in, in the job. Yeah. And let's face it, we spent like, well, uh, most of us, eight hours with these people and these uh, problems. So it's it's important. And also it's it's good to basically like and even love what you do, so. Yep, Yeah. absolutely. So what have you done with Angular that you're proud of? Uh, yeah, so, uh, well, basically <laughs> starting from scratch and learning the, the, well, the basics and then maybe some more advanced topics. But yeah, this is kind of thing that I consider as a achievement. And also uh, lately I've been able to, you know, go to some local meetups, the Angular Sophia meetup. And I also was able to do uh, a presentation there on a theme that uh, I call NG gotchas. Basically the stuff that <laughs> were, uh, yeah, that's, that's the stuff that we were surprised with, uh, sometimes nastily surprised with by Angular. Right. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's coming from, yeah, for me, from my background, uh, MVC on the on the server side, some stuff on the Angular uh, side is not not really how can I say some stuff that I didn't expect to work as it did. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it surprised me nastily. So I have this uh, ng gotchas uh, medium articles series and I did a presentation on that and also something that I'm really proud of is I had I wanted to contribute back to Angular and uh, since I work uh, and my laptop at home is a PC a Windows PC I had some issues with CRLF with the carriage return line feed oh interesting yeah basically git and uh, Visual Studio code they were both trying to take out LF and then, uh, you know, on my machine, substitute that with CRLF. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was fighting with that for a while, but then uh, I decided, because I was also interested in Docker, mm-hmm. I decided to try and Dockerize Angular contribution. And uh, basically I succeeded in a, maybe a week or so time. And I have an article about that too, how you can actually, you know, start spin up a container do your Angular contributions there, do your tests, and uh, then, you know, be certain that you can actually contribute uh, safely back. And Great. I actually got my first contribution. It was really a small one, but I'm really proud of that. Woo! Yeah! <laughs> Angular contributor. Ah, uh, yeah. That at the start of the show. Yeah. Angular contributor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really, really small contribution, but, uh, yeah, I... I I'm really proud of the the way that you know things turned out. I mean, I'm not really a Docker person. I was more of a um, well, I was really interested in that, and I wanted to do to see how can I use it. And yeah, and also I'm not really an Angular um, experienced Angular developer or Angular contributor, 
But basically, uh, still, I uh, managed to put those things together and solve this, well, maybe little issue for someone, but for me, it was uh, it was interesting and challenging and fun. Well, and I, I want to call this out too, because, you know, you've made this contribution, you know, you've contributed to Angular, you figured out how to dockerize some of this stuff and solve some of the issues you had. And a lot of people, they look at open source and they go, there's no way I can contribute because I'm not an experienced Angular dev. I mean, all of the things that you said, I'm not this, I'm not this, I can't this, I didn't that. And, you know, but I made this contribution anyway. And I think, I think that's just as important as the, hey, look, if you're 90 and you want a job in code, go for it, right? Yeah. The, yeah. the other thing is, is you don't have to be an expert to solve a problem. You know, even little problems that, that we run into. And if enough inexperienced people solve enough little problems, then the rest of us don't have to deal with them. Amen. And so if yeah. you can find something that you think you can contribute, do it. And you don't, again, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a genius. You know, I mean, you you might be. <laughs> you might be a genius. I don't know. We've talked for 20 minutes. But you don't have to be, right? You can just be a regular person that loves Angular and wants to fix a problem. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I mean, we uh, we got a lot of Angular at my place of work. I personally mm-hmm. got a lot of Angular and from the Angular team. And, uh, you know, I wanted to give back some and uh, and also, you know, make maybe a name for me, for myself. So, yeah, it was, it, again, it was really fun and challenging and also really nice to actually do it. Yep. Well, and that doesn't hurt either, right? Because now you can put on your resume or CV, Angular contributor. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was I was looking into the contributors uh, earlier today for for Angular, but uh-huh. GitHub only shows the first hundred, so I'm not in there. <laughs> Keep working on it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. But but yeah, it and it's important. I mean, every little piece helps. And, you know, it's a good way to get involved. It's a good way to meet people. I mean, there are so many benefits to it. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think so, yeah. I agree. Yeah. So what are you working on now? Now, aside from the job, which is, uh, you know, not Angular. Currently, the project that I started recently is not Angular. But aside from that, I'm doing a video course on functional C-sharp. And I hope, I hope it gets published. Basically, it's still a work in progress. Mm-hmm. And yeah, is, is that for any company in particular? Where are you planning on publishing that? Uh, no, uh, that's um, for Pact Publishing. They okay. they approached me, and uh, yeah, we started we started this project. Hopefully, we can finish that. Nice. Is there a place people can find that, or you know, pre-order it, or anything like that? Well, not to my knowledge. It's still kind of. Maybe fifty percent done. Okay, or even less because yeah, still not done. Yeah, I know how that goes. I'm still working on my course on how to find a job. <laughs> so, yeah, I hear that. So, I want to talk a little bit about the community out in Bulgaria. So, what's it like being a developer out in Bulgaria? Well, I I mentioned that you know the the higher living standard is something uh, that's. Uh, very particular for this industry, for the software industry. A lot of uh, a lot of really big enterprises have uh, offices down here, like SAP, 
like VMware, like uh, you uh-huh. know, uh, players of this. Of this oh room. wow! And a lot of a lot of us work uh, in jobs that basically, uh, well, places that basically outsource people to 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 work mm-hmm. for enterprises in Europe and in the, in the US and the UK. So basically, we are kind of uh, a small India. <laughs> With uh, with a lot of developers working for uh, over the overseas uh, projects and uh, and companies. Nice. And also, there's you know Telerik and a few other companies that have their own product and uh, also uh, support that. Like recently, I learned that there's this company called Chaos Group, and they're kind of big on the uh, 3D rendering stuff, and they are also you know local here. Very cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of curious, do most people in Bulgaria speak English? Because most of the development documentation that I've seen out there is in English. And so I wonder if that's a barrier for people to get into programming. Uh, well, most of the young people do, especially, you know, with the advent of uh, personal computers and, um, you know, phones, uh-huh. everything is in English. But, you know, the, the majority of the population, no, uh, I would say no. No, English is not there. It's not a kind of a second language here. So does that make it hard for people to make the transition? Or is there enough information out there in Bulgarian for people to figure it out? I'd say it, it makes it harder, but uh, people like the um, Telerik Academy tutors, they they make things a lot easier because they right. basically you know, teach in Bulgarian. That makes sense. I found that uh, you know the way that you're describing things is pretty close to... My experience, I lived in Italy for two years, about 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And, you know, so I would go talk to people. And yeah, I mean, most of the time we were talking to people in Italian, but a lot of the younger folks spoke English. And last year we actually had a foreign exchange student from Italy in our house. And uh, she was telling us that most students now are learning English in high school. And so they at least speak a little bit. And, and I'm thinking that that probably helps some of them be able to find, you know, international jobs or learn skills where the primary documentation is going to be in English. Yeah. And, uh, and, and as I mentioned, we usually work with uh, people overseas or, you know, mm-hmm. foreigners. And uh, English is kind of the language that we, that we use. My previous job we were doing with, uh, with a company out of Amsterdam. And mm-hmm. English is kind of the, the second language there, but we had people from France, from Germany, from uh, you name it. It was kind of a very colorful team. And English is the, the language of, you know, that everyone speak, speaks. Yeah, it's also been interesting just from the standpoint of, I've talked to a few people who work in like Germany and other countries. And yeah, they have a multinational team that's in Germany. And so they, you know, when they're out and about in Germany, they are speaking german and when they go to work they speak english because everybody else speaks english yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and you don't want to keep people out you know it's kind of right. rude to speak bulgarian while in meeting or other people that don't speak bulgarian right yeah yeah but again if your whole team is in bulgaria i don't think it's unreasonable to expect people to speak bulgarian but you have to figure out what works for your team so yeah, yeah definitely well we were kind of half and half uh, half the team especially you know the development part that was here out here in Bulgaria, 
And when we did meetings, only this part of the team, of course, yeah, we spoke Bulgarian. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really nice when you are co-located because issues are that much easier to yeah. discuss and you know resolve. Yep, that makes sense. One other question I have for you about the Bulgarian programming scene is, so are you located in Sofia or? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm assuming there's a a reasonably strong programming community there. As you get outside of the city, is is there much less of a programming community? Yeah, definitely. Order to find jobs and stuff out there? Yeah, definitely. So there are maybe two or three other major cities, uh, Varna, Burgas, Plodiv, that that have a lot of programming jobs. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the country is uh, basically zero (laughs) or close to zero. But uh, still, that changes. Again, I'll mention people that spun off from the uh, Telerik Academy, soft to uni. They are doing courses, free courses for the uh, for the uh, school students. Uh, you know, again for programming, and they they um, uh, they take anyone that wants to from that part uh, of the of the country and uh, that needs. Uh, sorry, that can teach something, and they basically help them to start the uh, start the spark. Maybe I should say in the in the younger students, in the kids. Makes sense. Yeah, I've I've been a little curious here. I, so I live in Utah. Um, if you don't know where it is, I uh, we're between Nevada and uh, Wyoming, Colorado. For for people that aren't familiar with U.S. geography. And if that doesn't help you, I guess you can go look it up on Google Maps or something. But uh, anyway, so there's an area called the Wasatch Front, which is basically a ways north of Salt Lake City all all the way down to Provo in Utah. There's a very healthy tech scene. And then like my my wife is from a little town in eastern Utah. And, you know, there's nothing out there. If you want a tech job out there, good luck. And it's because they're, you know, they're small towns, uh, mining or farming. And yeah, I've wondered a little bit, you know, if there would be some way of opening things up out there to, to bring in more communities. And it sounds like that's kind of a, a problem everywhere once you get a ways away from a, a large uh, tech center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to, to be, um, well, I, I'm guessing here that a lot of the young people would, would, would like to do that. Mm-hmm. And what they need to do basically is come out here or, you know, to the closest yep. one of those big cities. And I think that's not uh, unusual anywhere. I'm, I'm hearing some of the some of the people going back, you know, after they had, uh, they've established themselves as professionals. Thank mm-hmm. God. Especially now you can actually, you know, work remotely and that's also an option. Yep. Yeah, that's been my experience as well, that a lot of people are willing to do that where, yeah, essentially they, they pick up the skills they get enough experience to where they can get hired to work remotely and then they do that. All right. Well, one last thing that I want to ask is if people want to find you online, where are you? Do you do you have like a Medium or? Yeah, exactly. Or... Uh, I block on Medium. It's uh, G. Parlakov, one word. I guess we can put that kind of in the notes. Yep, we'll put it in the notes. And uh, and also I'm, I'm recently, maybe for a year now, in, on Twitter and I'm tweeting not really often, but about the stuff that I find interesting. And I follow a lot of people interesting from the .NET Core team, from the Angular team. 
you know, people that uh, Elon Musk, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, people that are I find inspiring. Very and, cool. Yeah. Well, good deal. Do you want to put those links in the chat and we'll make sure those wind up in the show notes? Sure, we'll do. All right. Well, the last uh, section of this show is picks. Do you have some things you want to shout out about on the show? Well, yeah, actually I do. And uh, let me, I've prepared the list. Awesome. So first thing I want to say to to everyone that's listening and, you know, find your thing and do the leap of faith. That's, mm-hmm. it, it's never too late. And yeah, that's kind of the idea that I want to convey. And also a couple of, a uh, couple of tech stuff. I want to shout out about Stack Blitz. If, uh, if you've not heard about it, it's kind of a Angular in the browser. Uh, it's, it's great stuff. I've used it for a couple of my blogs. And it's really, really convenient because you can do everything online and then even you know download the project on your local machine or vice versa. You can start in GitHub and then uh, go to StackBlitz. And uh, I want to say that uh, I've been listening to a book by a Chinese author the Three Body Problem, the, an audio book version of that. I've been and, wanting to read that. Is it good? Yeah, it blew my mind. It's it's uh, yeah, it's great. I well, for the first maybe an hour, he talks about the Chinese Cultural Revolution stuff that happened back in the 60s, in the 70s. Uh, but that lays just the foundation, and then it picks up from there. And the book is really amazing, and it's. The, there are three books, and there are more than sixty hours total in in, uh, in audio content. And as I said, it blew my mind a couple of times. I really, uh, yeah, I really recommend that. Nice. I'll have to check it out. I think it's on my wish list for Audible. So, yeah, I listen to a ton of stuff on Audible.com. I guess I'll shout that out first. Yeah, I I probably listen to uh, on average about a book a week. All right. Uh, and, uh, you know, some of it's fiction and some of it's not. Probably about half of it. And I've really, really enjoyed that. Uh, the book I'm listening to right now is The Diabetes Code by Dr. Jason Fung. Mm. Um, so I have type 2 diabetes. I've mostly been... Uh, so I've been diabetic for 12 years. And I never felt like it was completely under control. Like, even when my numbers were what the doctor said it was, I just never felt 100% good. And so I started doing the ketogenic diet. All right. Uh, you talked about .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin from .NET Rocks, he and another guy named Richard Morris, which is funny because it's Carl and Richard on this show too. They do two keto dudes and they talk about the ketogenic diet. And that has helped me. That makes me feel better than anything else that has, like, you know, with my health and everything else. So I've, I've been doing the ketogenic diet. And Dr. Jason Fung, he kind of explains the mechanisms that cause diabetes and then kind of walks you through how to how to approach uh, the ketogenic diet to keep that under control. So I've I've really really enjoyed it. And then I took a course on writing a book and that you know so I've been work, working on the how to get a job book and course. Uh, by the time this goes live, you're you're probably going to have a pretty good run at the book. It will probably be past the um the rough draft and I'll I'll have massaged it into a more cohesive Thing. Though I have had a couple of calls with people who have bought the book and read it, what I have so far, and it's changed the way that they're doing their job search and they're happier with the results they're getting as far as interviews and things. So I'll just put that out there. But anyway, one of the things that they have you do as part of this course is get an accountability partner. And he recommended a book to me called Ultra Marathon Man. It's by Dean Karnazes. 
And uh, the the guy is insane. But, you know, he talks about running 100 miles at a time or 200 miles at a time. Wow. You know, over like two days without sleeping. Uh, you know, but uh, it was really, really just a fascinating book and made me realize that, you know, for me, in a lot of ways, what running gives him, coding does for me as far as just, you know, the thing that gets me going, gets me excited. And so I, I love that. And uh, it also inspired me to get out and run. So uh, I decided that it sounded crazy, but that was okay. And that was to, I, I basically every weekday for Thursday and Friday last week, and, you know, I'm going to do it all basically through the rest of October is I'm going to walk or run a 5K every day. All right. Good for you. And so, you know, I just, um, it's it's been kind of cold here. It's starting to get cold because it's October in the U.S. So I've just been going to the gym and doing it on the treadmill. But yeah, 3.1 miles. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I've I've really been digging that. So I'm going to pick that as well. Um, Ultra Marathon Man by Dean Carnazes. Yeah, it's always good when you kind of get a move on. Yeah, it's always good when you you do something that's challenging physically. Yep, absolutely. And and also just you know to your point. If you're if you're reading a book, you know, the three body problem, hopefully that's inspiring you to change things in your life to make things better. And that's the reason why I read some of the books that I read. So some of them are business and it's, hey, you know, let's do a little bit better with the podcast network. And some of it's, you know, health, like the diabetes code or the running book. And sometimes it's other stuff. So, yeah, you know, I got reminded uh, I, I was listening to getting to yes Mm-hmm. A wonderful audio book. I listened to it twice. It's uh, it's kind of a negotiating uh, strategy yeah. book, and also I, I it's I'd like to say personal development kind of thing. It's really good. It's kind of eye opener uh, for for me. It was uh, an eye opener, definitely. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for coming and talking to us about your journey into Angular. Yeah, I was I was very excited to 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 be here thanks yeah it's fun and it's always great to just you know hear hey you know it's here's another take you know here's oh that's somebody like me and if he can do it you know maybe maybe i have a shot um and i just i love putting that out there and and having people go oh yeah i identify with that so yeah yeah all right well we'll wrap this one up thank you for coming sure and we will catch everyone next week Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.